Wonderful to see you. Please be praying for Danny. We're glad he's alive and well. Bit of a close call from human reckoning, but the Lord knew all along what his uh, situation would be. Today is Palm Sunday. Uh, the Lord made an entry into Jerusalem on this day. Some of you have been in the area where uh, he went through gates of old in a most unusual way in fulfillment of prophecy, humble, mounted on a donkey, in fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy. Uh, quite unusual because in the day, a conquering hero uh, would come on a white steed, not on a donkey. And the Lord did it this way so as to show us he did not come to conquer us, he came to conquer sin for us. That was his first coming as Lamb of God. Uh, the second time will be different. He will come uh, on a white horse as uh, not Lamb of God, but as Lion of Judah. We live in between the two events. If you recognized him accurately uh, as he who came the first time to judge sin, then you will not fear seeing him the second time when he comes to judge sinners. So it's important, really, really important, that you be right about the person of Jesus Christ. This is Holy Week. Many churches of a more liturgical kind uh, acknowledge it in a somewhat different way, but we all do in our hearts. It's Passion Week from a Latin term for the sufferings of Christ. He suffered in this week so that you and I could be reconciled to him. It was a rough week for him, but a week from today, we'll celebrate the resurrection, during which time he won victory over the last enemy, death. Think about it. It affects all of us. Many of us are focused upon it, wounded by it, even fear it. No need to, however, for he won victory over the last enemy, death. It says he's the first fruits of life from the death, strongly implying fruits, other fruit will follow. You're it. I'm it. If we know the Lord Jesus Christ who says, I am the resurrection and the life. And so we gather together, Christians around the world. I love the idea. We'll do so in different fashion. Doesn't matter. We do so for the same purpose, to worship the living Savior. If all we had was the cross and not an empty tomb, we'd have no cause for rejoicing. It's these two symbols of real events that give us hope. There was the cross and then there's the empty tomb as well. We don't want to move past the cross too quickly. It's a love letter reminding us of what the Lord was willing to do in order to set up communion with us. But we don't want to miss the empty tomb uh, either. We serve a living Savior. He's in the world today. Next week, we'll sing songs to that effect and rejoice in our heart. Of course, we do all the time. I spoke to the Lord earlier today. Have you had conversation with him? Recently, you did that because he's alive from death. He hears your words. So there are great ramifications to that. That's why it's sad when you read certain things. Today I was reading. I shouldn't do this before church, but I don't know why I do. had some time. I was in front of the computer. I don't read newspapers anymore. You don't have to. You can get millions of them online at no cost. So I was reading uh, Fox, you know, and quickly you can read headlines and for instance, I know it's going to be a, 
uh, Kansas and Kentucky on Monday, because that's important to know. I don't know if you knew this. But, but then I was reading other things. <clears throat> They're having a conference either today or maybe yesterday, I don't recall, at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, for military members who are atheists. It's interesting. They're bringing in musical groups. Number one speaker, Dr. Richard Dawkins, very well-known, internationally known atheist. I would uphold the right and the freedom, yet there's something in me that tells me it's not right. I don't get it. I just don't get it. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Obviously not an intellectual fool, because Richard Dawkins is uh, no intellectual fool at all. There's a moral character to the term. <clears throat> when you deny the reality of a designer in a world so clearly reflecting design, what does it say about you? Look through a telescope. Wow. Look into a microscope. Wow. Microscopic world. Design. Telescopic world. System and design. Our world. We're just in between. Design. I'm not smart enough to come up with another theory, but that there be a designer. Makes me mad. That's not good. I should pray instead. For this whole movement was started by a soldier in response to a conference that the chaplains at Fort Bragg, I happen to know about this because my son was one, they called in the Billy Graham Association a few months ago, got a very young representative with the Billy Graham Association who soldiers would relate to and did a concert, mu music of a contemporary style that they would relate to. Hundreds uh, accepted the Lord on that particular occasion. And in response to it, one soldier is demanding equal time. So now we got an atheist conference. Yeah. Then I think how patient and long-suffering God is. Good night. I'm just like the soldier there. We're all a bunch of people with ungodly inclinations, and this God stands ready to redeem. He's very long-suffering and very, very patient. Makes me mad because the others <laughs> at Fort Bragg are putting their lives on the line now in Afghanistan to protect, I guess, these freedoms to believe in non-God. By the way, the argument for atheism is internally inconsistent. They're negating something they say doesn't exist. <laughs> doesn't make sense. Jesus is patient, desiring for none to perish, but for all to be saved. And that has to be our desire as well. We are in Luke chapter 16 today. <clears throat> it's a fascinating chapter that I don't fully understand. Partly, I think. The Lord had been speaking in parables up until now. There are three in chapter 15. His audience were Pharisees. He spoke in parables, stories. A parable is a story. Be careful about a parable in the Bible. Don't read something into everything in it. Um, a parable has a big idea. 
try to find the big idea. In other words, what's the moral of the story? A parable is not meant to be a legal treatise, a, a statement of systematic theology. It's a story. Interpret it as a story. He spoke stories to the Pharisees, religious leaders, in chapter 15. Now, in chapter 16, he's still speaking in parables, but the audience changes. Now, not Pharisees, but disciples. So what he says applies to us, because we be they also, disciples. Uh, in the second part of chapter 16, he speaks again to Pharisees. But in verses 1 to 13, the audience are his followers, disciples. But while he's speaking to them, the Pharisees are listening, and they chime in later on in the text. We'll only do the first 13 verses today. This particular text has given rise, I wouldn't say to controversy, but more, um, more people weighing in on it than maybe any other passage in all of the scriptures. It's um, tricky. It's complicated. And uh, that's good. When you read the Bible, some things are crystal clear, really wonderful. Other things reveal to us, because they're not crystal clear, how incomprehensible is Almighty God. So don't worry if you don't understand all things fully. Focus on the things you do. Ask God to give you more wisdom. That's what I do, studying the Bible. So I'll tell you what I think about this passage, but I'm not sure I got it right. So here we go, verse 1. Now he was also saying to the disciples. So you see, that's where I got that the audience changes. <laughs> so this is pretty obvious so far. He's speaking to the disciples. Okay, here's the story. Here's the parable. There was a rich man who had a manager. Not unusual. We could relate. Somebody of wealth had an underling in charge of management of the wealth. The rich man is out. Becoming richer, he appointed an administrator to administrate his financial matters. So that's the situation. And this manager was reported to him, the employer found out something, was reported to him as squandering his possessions. So the employee was siphoning off profits <laughs> due the employer. He was corrupt. He was stealing. Uh, the... Uh, Rich man, the employer, I'll call him, found out that his employee was up to shenanigans. Here's what he did, verse 2. He called him to him and uh, said, what, what, what is this I, I hear about? Give an accounting of your management, really your mismanagement, for you can no longer be manager. In other words, you're fired. That's what happened. You got pink slip. Probably was doing pretty good in that economy. He's managing the resources of a rich guy. He's probably getting a good package, good base salary, good benefits. And on top of it, he's cheating his guy, his employer, out of some other stuff. And now he gets canned. Boom, just like that. No notice, no nothing. I don't know if he got severance. I don't know if he got two weeks notice. You know, I don't think you have to give notice when someone's stealing from you, right? I mean, you're gone. That's kind of what's happening. So the manager said to himself, see, he didn't talk to the rich man He's having a conversation in his head. All kinds of thoughts are going through his mind, as you might imagine. And the number one thought is, oh, no, what now? What am I going to do to be sustained? So he says to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? Here's what he says. He's considering all the options. I'm not strong enough to dig. He doesn't want to do manual labor. I'm ashamed to beg. He thinks he's a cut above. Interesting. I don't want to work and I don't want to beg. 
I mean, begging was a deal in that day. They didn't have social service sort of entitlement programs like we do today. Uh, then you were provided for by religious people who wanted to appease their conscience. So on the way to the temple, they throw a few shekels into your cup, and there they, they think they win God's favor. But anyway, you can make a good living. You know, alms for the poor kind of a deal. So that's what's going on. He said, I don't want to do that. Good night. I've been in management, and now I'm going to be holding a tin cup outside the temple while rich people go in. I was one of the rich people, and I definitely don't want to do manual labor. Are you kidding? <laughs> These are no good options, says he. And uh, so um, where am I? Anyone know? Oh, yeah, yeah verse 4. So, so, <laughs> sorry. so he, said, he says, I know what I'll do. It just comes to him. It's like a light bulb. I know what I'll do so that when, when I'm removed, he knows he's going to be fired. When I'm removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. Whoa. He comes up with a plan where he can win people's favor, and in so doing, they will sustain him. Maybe they'll offer him another job. They'll welcome him into their home. That meant they'll extend their resources to him. He has his plan to affect this. And he summoned, here's what he did, verse 5. He summoned each of the master's debtors. He's a rich guy. He's a creditor. He's loaned things, resources to others. He's undoubtedly charging them a measure of interest. That's probably one of the ways he became even richer. So the, the, uh, the, the, the manager of it all um, knows who owes the rich guy stuff. And so he calls the debtors. And he began saying to the first, how much do you owe, my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, this is what he said. He said, take your bill, sit down quickly, write 50. <laughs> Reduce your indebtedness, boom, at the flick of a wrist, by 50%. Pretty good deal, huh? That's not a bad deal. What? It's the next verse that I think you're looking at, Brenda, the next example. But you're, you're right about that. In this case, it's, it's 50% to begin with. It's going to be 80 next. So uh, that is a pretty good deal. Now, we have no indication that this was authorized or even known by the creditor. This is a guy doing it on his own. Can you see the plan? This is like a brilliant plan. Good night. If I tell these people they only have to pay half, they're going to love me and sustain me. So this is kind of what's going on. So then verse 7, he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill, write 80. So that's a 20% reduction. Pretty good deal. So these are people who are going to really, really, really have great admiration and affection for this guy. Here's what happens, and this is the, a part that is quite surprising to me, perhaps to you. Verse 8, his master, the guy who owns all this stuff, praised the admittedly unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. And then you have kind of a parenthetical comment, for the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. So I ask you this, how could it be that the master would commend, that the employer would commend his employee for his dishonesty? Can you help, help to lend some clarification? Yes. Well said, brother. A little bit. 
hey, the, the, the guy said, I wasn't going to get anything. I got a little bit. 80% is 50% is better than no percent. This is a good point. Some people say that's exactly what's going on. Yes, ma'am. This is a good point. He like the you know the 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 this 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 uh unreliable employee had people skills and the uh the employer liked the way he dealt with people and it would make make him look good in their eyes as well. Everybody wins. Good insight. Yes, ma'am. Ah, this is really, really, really good. So Denise being cynical, she thinks uh <laughs> She thinks every, it's not just this guy who's a, everybody's, everyone's a creep. Hey, hey, the big guy, the rich guy, he's, you know, he's, he's just, he's a slobola also. You know what I mean? Hey, cool. You, hey, one-upsmanship, junior slobola. You're doing, yeah, so they're just, you know, they're partners in crime. Okay, that's good. Thank you. That's what happens when you're married to a police officer. You, uh, <laughs> you become cynical. It's Roger's fault. Good, good, good. So you're you're getting to stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Mars. Ah, so Mars is making a distinction. I think it has validity to it. The squandering of the master's money was not so much done wrongfully, it was done foolishly. So that's a possibility. So maybe, maybe the employer is he's not commending him for dishonesty, but maybe for less than wise use of resources. That's a possibility. Say again? Incompetency rather than dishonesty. Okay, that's a possibility. Brenda? Very good point. He's, he's not only is he not stoned, he's praised. But look, yes, sir. Wow. Wow. That is a great insight. Um, and let me repeat it in case, you, did you hear? You don't want to hear? Okay. It was really excellent. Notice, if you look carefully at the text, and I think you got it. He was praised, not for his wrongdoing, he was praised for his shrewdness. If you go to a dictionary, you will find out that the quality of shrewdness is amoral, it's neutral. It's not a good thing, not a bad thing. It sounds like a bad thing, but it's not a bad thing. A shrewd per morally, a shrewd person is someone who's planning, who's orchestrating, who's, 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 who's um, in touch with circumstances of the day that may, in fact, affect his future. So he's praised for his shrewdness. Now, remember, a parable, be careful, get the main idea. Here's the main idea, it seems to me, keeping with what our brother just said. The Lord is not praising us for wrongdoing, deceit, or theft of that which is another. In this case, you are so right. This man is not living just for the day. He's thinking of his future. So too should we. 
because there'll come a day when believers will also give an accounting to our master with regard to how we utilized his resources entrusted to our stewardship that he may profit, if you will, from it, that he may receive glory. That's the point of the story, borne out by this parenthetical statement. The sons of this age... That is a technical term, phrase in the Bible for those who, in essence, only know of this age. They do not live, even know of, surely do not believe in, an age to come. They are time-bound. Revelation calls folks like these earth dwellers. We say, well, what does that mean? We all live on earth. Yeah, we all live on earth, but some live for earth as if there's nothing but it. They're confined only to this earth, this time, this age, synonym for unsaved people in contrast to, notice, sons of light. The sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. Who are the sons of light? You is. We is sons and daughters of light, those who by faith have been enlightened by the Lord Jesus Christ. It too is a technical term, not always used in this sense, but often used in this sense. So here's what's going on. The Lord is essentially saying worldly people are to be commended. They spend more time, are more shrewd, think more about opportunities before them today that will ensure their better future. Sometimes they do better at it than we do. We just go along living today, but not in light of the future, even though we ought to know better. Sometimes the sons of this age make better use of, in the last class a man gave this illustration, of electronic media. The church, not necessarily this one, but church in general, usually lags behind the culture in just about everything. That's good in some respects. But generally, the church lags behind, for instance, the use of technology in propagating the gospel worldwide. In fact, some people demonized, you know, iPads and websites and all this kind of stuff. And, and, so, and, and, and so he said that's an application of this. Sometimes people of the world are wiser with regard to their own kind. They live in terms of their, their value system a little more consistently than we sons of light do in light of ours. We're not sons of this age only. We believe in an age to come, and yet we use our wealth, our riches, and our material possessions in such fashion that it betrays we're not really living for the future as if we are going to stand before our master to give an account. So that's kind of, in my opinion, what I think is going on here in the passage. And I think it's borne out by how the Lord applies it, uh, beginning in verse 9. He makes three applications of this story in verses 9 to 13. The first is in verse 9. Here's what it says. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. What in the world does that mean? That's why I say this has given rise to lots of discussion. Let me just enter into the discussion and 
you could see if it you this is consistent with your thinking and if not we'll, we can talk about it first of all see where it says the wealth of unrighteousness you, you may have a bible that says mammon of unrighteousness you have mammon mammon or wealth it's an aramaic word aramaic is one of the three languages of the bible the bible is written in hebrew and in greek and in aramaic and Aramaic is a Semitic language, very, very similar to Hebrew. The Lord spoke all three. And in different parts of the Bible, Old and New Testament, you have these different languages. And so mammon is an Aramaic word. It's the mammon or wealth of, um, or money of unrighteousness. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean necessarily that money is inherently unrighteous bad although some would say yeah it is because they would say but for the fall from grace in genesis 3 we wouldn't even need the exchange of money for goods and services some would say that whole vehicle of economic transaction would not even have been necessary in the plenty that god intended in the garden of eden now, I don't know about that. You could just think about what you want. For sure, money often is used for unrighteous purposes. For instance, if your intent is simply to accumulate it, you know, that's kind of an unrighteous use. If your intent is to hoard it and use it for your own interest to the exclusion of others, that's an unrighteous use of mammon, so on and Governments can use money unrighteously, frequently do, use money unrighteously and so on. So here's what it says. What you should do is take that which can so easily be used unrighteously. You should use it for a good purpose. You should use it to make friends, the kind of which will welcome you, will receive you warmly into eternal dwellings. What does that mean? Let me throw this out. I think it means you can take that which can be used so wrongly and you could use it in part to participate in God's interest in extending the message of redemption worldwide so that even because of your financial participation in great commission efforts, someone may hear the gospel believe in it the two of you come upon one another in heaven and that one gives you a big welcome into a place of eternal dwelling saying you don't know me but i know you and because of your contribution i'm here what do you mean make friends well you can be friends for sure with people who don't know the lord and yet on the other hand there's a disconnect in terms of value system but the disconnect goes away when both of you have the same father through faith in the son. So the nature of the relationship between two is entirely changed when the two become one in Christ Jesus. So many say, and I think this is exactly what it means, money can so easily be used for unrighteous purposes. You can use it for selfish purposes or whatever or else you can use part of it to participate in the Redeemer's efforts to redeem people worldwide. 
Those people then become, I mean, what a friend it is who has enabled another to hear and believe the gospel. That one then welcomes you into places of eternal dwellings. I remember when I was a new Christian a million years ago. I was in the military. Uh, I and a number of other uh, military guys were invited to a conference for military folk. And there were key Christian speakers. They were ministering to us. One of the speakers during one of the sessions invited another a man and his wife up to the platform began to speak about them as folks who, though they be Americans, relocated to a foreign country called Australia. Now, at the time, I thought, I have no idea where that is. I just know, you know, they have like kangaroos there or something. These people went from America to Australia. Why? I'm thinking. I'm just seated there with others, military guys. We don't know what's going on. He said, uh, yeah, this couple has done this so that in Australia they could talk to people, tell people about this Jesus who you have heard of and whose lives have been changed by him. And they want to take the same name so that others can believe and be forgiven and be changed just as you are. Whoa. Well, they're called missionaries, right? But I didn't know that's what you call them. I just thought, you got to be kidding me. These people are serious. They're willing to leave comfort zone, familiar territory behind, go to the land of boomerangs and kangaroos? to tell people about Jesus. Whoa, and they had little kids who were there. They're not going to be raised here, and they're going to be raised there. Whoa, what a commitment. And I thought, I'm just a slobola. I'm not. And this guy, they introduced him. Now, I'll never forget his name was Chuck Strittmatter. Strittmatter. The Strittmatters. This is 35 years ago. And Chuck Strittmatter began to speak about how God raised them up for this, went to school, Bible college or something, got trained up, learned the culture, got approved, did whatever. I didn't understand all the words and vocabulary. I'm just thinking, you got to be, this guy didn't just wake up, roll out of bed one morning and say, we're moving to Australia. Holy moly, this guy is equipped, ready to go. And I thought, Man, I'm not like him at all. I'm not like Reverend. He was Reverend. So I don't even Reverend. How do you get to be like a Reverend? I'm not a Reverend. He went to Bible college. What's a Bible? You mean like a college with a Bible? What is going on here? You moved the whole family and he's trained in culture. I don't know anything about the culture of Australia. They got a culture there? What's the deal? What do they do? Don't they like eat? Do they eat pizza like we do? What do they? What is going And I thought... Man, I'm nothing like this guy. I don't want to be like this. I don't want to go to Australia for crying out loud. I was in Nebraska at the time. And that was foreign enough. I'm not going. <laughs> I want to go over. To, I don't want. And then it suddenly dawned on me. I don't have to be him. I don't have to go there. I don't have to be groomed like he is, equipped like he did. I don't have to have on my heart what he does. And then the guy, the leader of the conference said, if you would like to partner with the strit matters 
to take the good news of Jesus Christ to people in Australia. I could be like their partner? You're kidding me. He said, if you'd like to uh, indicate your financial and prayer commitment on this card. What? That's all? Just for some something as stupid as money? I could be on that guy's team? I got money? The government pays us? How much money do you need? So I checked a little deal, filled it out, put in my first contribution. That's all I think about. I said, man, I'm a partner of a guy in, and his wife, kids in Australia. Well, soon thereafter, I got a letter. It was, it was unbelievable. It was, I knew it wasn't from a place I was familiar with. It was a different envelope. It had a stamp on it from Australia. They have stamps in Australia. I'm not kidding. I don't know nothing. And I opened the deal. It was like this thin kind of like blue sort of stationary sort of kind of a deal. And I read it. It says, Dear Stuart. Somebody in Australia knows my name is Stuart? You're kidding me. Well, yeah, I'm a partner. And I start, thank my wife and I want to thank you for partnering with us. We thank you for your prayer and financial support with which we are able to remain here in the mission field. That's the first time I heard that. Mission field. In order to take the good news. Yeah, it's good news. Changed my life. Good news of Jesus Christ to the people of Australia. Please pray for the following people to whom we have the privilege of ministry. Three people listed by name. <gasps> I'm a partner. I could pray that they'd be saved. That's what I did 35 years ago. And my heart just exploded. I can't go like he could go. I can't do like he does. I'm not him. But I could be a partner. I could make use of unrighteous. Why is it unrighteous? You know what I did with my money up until that time? Look, I don't want to gross you out. But I used it for beer. <laughs> That's what I did. I'm in the military. I'm unsaved. What am I going to use it for? You know, when you get saved, it's not just from sin. Your whole mind gets changed. I ceased to be mindful of satisfying my fleshly desires. And now what was on my mind was partnering with missionaries in Australia. Though I can't go there. So uh, I thought, my goodness, for a couple six-packs a week, I could partner with a missionary couple. I'm sorry for being so grotesque, but... I didn't get saved out of the choir. I got saved out of the bar. And, and so uh, that's what I did. I took the mammon of unrighteousness. And I put it to a righteous purpose. I didn't know all this stuff. I surely didn't know about Luke 16. and I don't know it too well today, even as you can see. But, but I knew it less. And, and, and I put it. And then, look it. I don't think this is far-fetched. You can if you want. I think one day... There's a good possibility when I get welcomed into my place of eternal dwelling. I don't know. Some guy may tap me on the shoulder if we have shoulders. I don't know what we have. <laughs> he may say, uh, Stuart, you don't know me, but I know you. <clears throat> I'm an aborigine. I know you're a Jew. We don't hang out. 
We don't speak the same language. We don't eat the same. We, we got nothing in common except eternity. Welcome home. And because of your measly old contribution of otherwise unrighteous mammon, the strip matter shared the gospel with me, and I'm here because of it. That is exactly what I think this means. That is exactly what I think it means. That is not dramatic. That is not far-fetched. That is exactly what it means. And the guy who used his money in the present shrewdly to ensure his own profit in the future is actually commended, at least he, with a distorted, ungodly value system. At least he's making use of resources in the present for a future return. What about you? The sons of this age are wiser in doing that stuff than you guys. You're just coasting. This is kind of a slap in the face, not for the bad guy there, but for us who ought to know better. But for us who ought to invest our time and our talents and our material resources to make friends, that is to say, establish a connection and affinity with people otherwise estranged from God like we were through the gospel of peace by faith in the Prince of Peace, so that one day we see each other, welcome each other warmly in our places of eternal dwellings. So that is the first, it seems to me, application of the story. Here's the second, verses 10 to 12. He was faithful in a very little thing, is faithful also in much. In other words, a character quality is consistently demonstrated whether you're handling something of insignificance or something of significance, whether you're faithful in handling stuff is revealed on all levels. See, and he who was unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the use of, now here we're finding out what the little thing is, if you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who's going to entrust the true riches to you? Whoa. What are the true riches? I don't know. It's not spelled out. But I think of this. If money ends, and it does, true riches must be stuff that doesn't. <laughs> so if money is stuff that only has value here, true riches must be stuff that has value here and there. Stuff of eternal gain. Now why should somebody, namely God, Entrust true riches to us. We haven't been faithful in using stuff that doesn't even matter that much. You see? That's kind of what's going on. Sort of going on over here. And then it says, verse 12, if you've not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, you say, whoa, 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 I worked for my money. Yeah, I know you did. But wait a second. Just the ability to work was given by God. The place, the position, the physical well-being. Come on. You're not the master of your destiny. You're not a self-made man or woman. There's no self-made. You're not self-made. You're a creature created by a creator. Self-made. You can't even make the next breath if the giver of life doesn't enable it. You can't inhale and exhale air if he doesn't enable There's no such thing as a self-made. Are you kidding me? Meaning, what do you have that you have not received from Almighty God? 
Nothing. So it says here, if you've not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, namely God's, who will give you that which is your own? Why should God entrust you us true riches, which will be ours in eternity, if we on this side of things have not been faithful in using that which is his, in which he has simply made us stewards of? That's kind of the deal. Yeah. This is a convicting passage. Holy moly. Do you know this is, this is not salvation? Hang on. Don't get nervous here. It's not what the parable is saying. You're not going to get judged with respect to your salvation because Jesus was judged so that you can be saved. But a saved person must give account for how we exercise stewardship over what the Savior has entrusted to us. So this is not what gets you saved, good management of money. Because you have been saved, it should lead to good management of money as an evidence of salvation, not as the cause thereof. So I want to tell you something. Um, <clears throat> well, I'll tell you what. Let's close... Uh, let's finish and then I'll, uh, then I'll make a closing comment. Let's finish with the third application the Lord makes now, verse 13. Third application from the story. Here it is. No servant can serve two masters. Why not? Well, because here's what's, you're going to either hate the one and love the other or you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. So here's the deal. You can't serve God and money or wealth. Why not? Because doing so requires competing objectives and motives. If your goal is to serve money, that is to worship it, then you do stuff. For instance, like on your income tax. Did you file your income tax stuff yet? Listen here. If your goal is to serve money, that is, it's your master, it's, it's your God, you're going to cheat on your income tax. You're going to try to keep as much as you possibly can doing anything you can. I mean, if that's your goal, be devoted to it, for crying out loud. If money is your God, then serve it. So let's say you, let's say you own apartments you have people paying your rent. Charge them an exorbitant amount. And when things break down in it, don't fix it. Profit off of their backs if money is your God. Can you see that your motives have to be entirely different if you're serving money? But if you're serving God, you're not going to do that stuff. Competing objectives, you see. So here's the deal. You've got to serve somebody. You either serve money in life or you serve the giver of life in this life and in the life to come. Make a choice. That's kind of what's going on. But you've got to serve somebody. See, that doesn't sound good. Oh, no, 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 no. To be a bondservant of Jesus Christ means freedom from bondage to other pretenders to the throne. So if you're mastered by money, that means you're not mastered by the Lord. Because if you're mastered by the Lord, then you're not going to be mastered by money. You will have mastery over it. If you're serving Christ, you will use money as a vehicle by which you can bring glory to his name. If you're mastered by money, you just want to keep it, accumulate it, use it, all the rest. You know why God wants full and wholehearted devotion to him alone? Because he loves us so much, he doesn't want to share us. <laughs> He doesn't want divided loyalties because he loves us. He doesn't want us to commit adultery. He doesn't want us to be wedded to him part-time, money the other. He loves us too much. Second, 
He's really good. He knows money can't meet the need. So I have a relative. We grew up. Um, poor is a relative term. I wouldn't say poor. Definitely not rich. Uh, we lived in a low-income um, housing complex in New York. And I know you're saying, wait, I thought, th- I thought you were Jewish. <laughs> yeah. It's another stereotype. You know, we're not all... We're not all at the top of the pie. And we weren't. My parents were, uh, my mother wor- was a factory worker. My father supported us by being a tailor. We were not rich. Rich people would come to our apartment and he would uh, size them and make clothing for them. And that's how he supported us. I don't ever remember going hungry. So don't let me make this a, some bleeding heart thing. I'm just trying to tell you. That's the way we live. And my cousin, I had a cousin. He said, this is, you know, I, I'm going to do better in life. And and from an early age, I remember his heart's desire was to be rich, just to be rich. And he was the first kid to go to college. Nobody in my family ever went to college, just never did it. He was the first one, graduated, he got a degree in accounting. He became an account, passed his CPA exam first first time, did really good. Got a great job with some big, who knows, corporation, making lots of money to such an extent, left where we lived. Moved out of state, bought a big house, married this beautiful gal, had two gorgeous kids, had a nervous breakdown. I don't understand all that. He did. Caved in. Stress, all the rest. I mean, he was hobnobbing, was big shots. I met some of them. He was a member of all kinds of clubs and this and that, whatnot. To sustain all that, I guess, got to him. Lost his health, lost his wife. She was tired of him having an affair. Affair? Yeah, not with a woman. With his other mistress. Money. He was serving money. She never saw any benefits from it. Big deal, they had a house with a pool in it. So what? He never used it. Kids, estranged from their dad. Tremendous anger. Why? Where is he? Who is he? Are you a dad just through biology? Physio? I mean, where are you relationally? Nothing. Where is he today? Lost as a goose. Empty as could be. On all kinds of medication. I know him. I've shared with him. He listens. What's the difference between he and me? Virtue in me, none in him? Of course not. All have sinned and fallen short of the virtue of God. Can't be that. What is it? By grace, I've been enabled to bow before the true master. He has bowed before the false master. Look at the results. I'm healthy and well. He's a shell. God loves us too much. He doesn't want us to bow before a false god. So let me tell you this. I'm no economist. I know, I know very little about finances. I know, yeah. I thought you were Jewish. Yeah, yeah. But we don't all get the money thing. I don't have a clue. I don't know anything. My wife balances the checkbook. She gives me an allowance, stuff like that. I don't know anything. I'm just not interested in that. But I just know this as a guy, just a guy from Pearland. I think we're headed for major economic collapse. And maybe I'm wrong. I'm not making any prediction. Nobody spoke to me. I'm just reading the signs, that's all. 
I'm just trying to think. <clears throat> it's not just the indebtedness in the country and who we are indebted to. I mean, it's not like Canada. It's China. Last time I checked, they don't like us. So every, out of every dollar we spend, 40% of it, we owe them, China. You know, I just sort of think eventually the creditors say, pay up. Am I missing the point here? And then we say, we can't pay. What are you? And then the deal is not just our indebtedness. No, I don't think that's a big problem. The big problem is neither political party is going to do a doggone thing about it. They can't. Why not? Because you can't get elected if you're really serious. I mean, no one's going to vote for you if you take away stuff. Nobody. It's not a Democrat malady. That's not a Republican malady. That's a people malady. I want to tell you something. When the mammon of unrighteousness rules, you make dumb decisions. Welcome to the real world. Not a political statement. This is, this is a, this thing. It's a spiritual statement. So, so because of that, the indebtedness and the no commitment to do anything about it. I mean, under the Republicans, government has grown like crazy. Under the Democrats, government has grown like crazy. Who's paying for it? Look around. I mean, that can't, it's not going to, you know, when I grew up, the American dream was owning a home. Why? Well, the home is an appreciating item. It's an investment. Not anymore, it's not. Close to 50% of Americans, get this, are paying, on, are paying on homes that are worth less than what they owe. Now, the average American is saying, I'm not stupid. Why should I pay on something that's worth less than what, I'm, what I owe. Therefore, they're walking away from it. That's called foreclosure. Now, I think that's an ethical issue right there. But, but, but who's going to get it? They're sticking the banks with it. Well, the banks are not going to get stuck with anything. They're banks. Who's getting stuck with it? Look around. You are. I am. So when I look to that stuff, you say, wait a second, Stuart. You don't get it. The econ economic picture is picking up. Only in an election year. Listen to me. Now, look, I'm not the smartest guy. Please explain this to me. How could it be that last week all the figures, unemployment, this, that, and the other thing, are at a certain level, and one week later, they're vastly improved? <laughs> what? Someone is playing with the numbers. I'm not blaming anyone in particular. It's everybody. Who's, uh, who's of this age and not a, a son or daughter of lie and just justifying everything today in light of the reality. Very shrewd with regard to the matters of the day. But there's no way the economic picture can clean up that much in one week for crying out. I'm not, I don't understand that. I don't read books on economy and stuff like that. I watch American Idol. <laughs> what do I know about anything? I just know what, what? In one week, things are that much better. Wow. Hallelujah. Is it a miracle? Or is, no, someone's cooking the books. I know this stuff. I'm from New York. I, so, okay, all that to be said, I think it's going to break down. Now, what is that going to mean? It means that there's going to be water in the boat. And you're in the boat as a Christian. Yay! Because while in the boat and turbulent waters, people are going to look to you and me and say, what is the deal with you? You're in the same circumstance. Why are you not affected the way I am? You have a measure, and you're going to say, I would have been. I'm no better. 
let me tell you about the peace I have because there's someone who enabled me to have peace. He's the Prince of Peace. And you're going to tell him about Jesus. That's why I'm not afraid of what's going on. Look, I got a 409Z or whatever they call the deal through our denomination. It's a wonderful thing. They send you reports every once in a while. I'll look at them. I'm just amazingly fascinated at how it goes down all the time. How did that happen? I didn't spend anything. Who's spending money? What is going on? I mean, I'm not really worried about that kind of a deal. Why? The worst that can happen. I'll tell you what's going to happen. I think what's going to happen is you're going to see more extended families moving in. Look, you're going to have three family members. And you can't all three pay for the house. So you're going to pick the biggest house and move in. Chip in. That's really good. Grandkids will be right there. <laughs> What's the big deal? You move together. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. It's possible to do with one car only. I got a bike in my garage. I don't use it. You kidding me? It's a bike in the garage. So what if you have to use a bike? What I'm trying to say is, you know, maybe we could do with one less color TV. I, it's just not the end. <sighs> because the master we bow before will sustain us and supply us so as to be able to do everything he wants for us to do in this age in a way that counts for the age to come. And then when we get to the age to come, none of this will matter. Don't worry. Don't worry. Just serve the right God. Now, there are two things we have worshipped in the United States. One is our military strength, and the second... I'm going over just a little bit. I've, I apologize. Um, military strength and money. And my son in Afghanistan told me, the enemy's not the problem. We got bigger guns. It's those who masquerade as our friends who are trying to kill us. So the the... People in the area who serve on military installations, he said the other day some tried to put poison in our food. Some guys a few months ago left their weapons unattended and one of the natives in the area picked up a gun, killed six of us. He says you can never sleep. You have to always be awake. You can't be anywhere alone. You've got to watch each other's back because you don't, can't tell your friends from your enemies. Used to be a military can crush an enemy. Where's the enemy? O over across that line? Let's get him. What line? He said, now on our installations, it's supposed to be, they call it this side of the line, not inside the line, not outside the line. He said, inside the line is just as bad as outside the line right now. So you see, militarily, it's not quite the, the deal. Now people who don't have the military strength we do can just bring a bomb and blow up Walmart. I mean, you know, welcome to the real world. So, so that idol is gone, is going. And then the second is money. Americans, wealthiest country in the world. But you see, things are happening. A good and gracious God who loves us so much and does not want us bowing before a false God is stripping our dependence on our military might and on our money. Why? Because we're clinging to these things tenaciously and we're not going to give them up. So, so, so look, 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 oh, he's prying open our grasp on these things because we can't hold on to it anymore. It's nothing to hold on to so that we instead grab onto him. And we'll be in good shape. So what's happening now with Christians more than ever, we're not serving two masters. We have an opportunity to serve the one true master and to tell others about him as well. These are good days to be alive. Don't panic.
Don't panic. Last time I checked, our Father in heaven is not biting his fingernails. Everything's cool. Everything's cool. He is sovereign. And what's more, he's good at the same time. He's just stripping us of stuff that's competing for his attention and that will not serve us well until we serve him wholeheartedly. So here's the closing deal brought up by a guy in our last class. It's diligence. Just be diligent as a steward of the Lord Jesus Christ to make the most of what he's given you. This doesn't mean that being a wealthy Christian is sinful. No, it's not having money that's the problem. It's the use of the money you have. That's the challenge. That's all. Can you not use it for recreation? Of course you could. Nobody is saying that. Thank God for bonuses and all the rest. Just make sure he's at the center of all uses of money and make sure you're investing in Great Commission efforts so that one day friends indeed will say thank you for helping to get me here, a place of eternal dwelling. Really good. Lord Jesus, thanks for everything. We don't got it, but we're getting it more than ever. We're disciples, we're learners, which means we have a ways to go. You saved us from sin, but also from thinking that's sinful. You saved us from sinful thinking about stuff, from money, from wealth, and all the rest, and you have opened our minds to entirely new ways to utilize it all, ways that count, that profit you, that in trust to us true riches that benefit others for the sake of the gospel and their eternity. Quite exciting. Lord Jesus, make us to be better, more diligent stewards of time, talent, and wealth. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you folks. See ya. I was going to go out to lunch, but I don't want to spend the money. And so...